Our scripture lesson for today, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Paul writes, Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on the servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds, Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Also, those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us is accountable to God the word of the Lord. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. We humans are interesting creatures. We all have our own experiences. We all have our own observations of the world around us. And because of that, we all have our own opinions on things. Now, for some What is a very important opinion or stance or experience in one regard might be very unimportant for someone else. And vice versa, what's very important for this person might not even have a second thought to this person over here. But in my observation, there is one subject, one topic, one one thing in all of existence that everyone takes a very prominent stance on. Brace yourself. The question, the debate, it cycles around this idea, this this question, does pineapple belong on pizza? Okay, I hope you're laughing at that because of course that's ridiculous. Why do I bring that up? Well, I bring it up for two reasons. One, we're thinking about this idea of debate, or we're thinking about this idea of opinions or, or discussions or, or, or people butting heads over something. And then we're talking about the idea of food, both of which are topics that the Apostle Paul writes about in this portion of the letter to the Romans. Now, I want to talk about this letter to the Romans. If you've been tuning in, we've actually been in Romans off and on over the course of the last Um, the last couple of months. It's been one of our featured readings. Sometimes we're in the gospel. Sometimes we've been featuring Romans. So it's been popping up. We're still there. And the book of Romans, written by the apostle Paul, 
written somewhere in the decades shortly after Jesus was around, uh, probably somewhere in 20 to 30 years after Jesus has been, Jesus lived and died and rose again. That's when Paul wrote this letter. Now, Paul was a, had been a Jewish guy named Saul, and he had had an experience with the risen Lord and, and underwent a conversion, and he became an apostle. And he was very, 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 very active in traveling around the Roman Empire, around the known world, establishing churches, and he was constantly writing and corresponding with these various groups, these various churches that he had either helped found or that he was aware of. That is the case with the book of Romans. Now, if you're familiar, you'll know that Romans is the longest of Paul's letters, and because of that, it's the most excessive and extensive and probably most detailed of his theological arguments. It really lays out his stance on a lot of things and where his understanding of faith comes from. And the reason for that is because this group of believers, this church, this community of faith in Rome was one that Paul had not visited. He had not started this, this church. Someone else had founded it. Someone else had begun it. And uh, this was a group of, of believers that Paul did not know. He knew of them, but he did not know them. And that's why he writes so much and why this ongoing letter to the Romans is so extensive. Now, keep in mind, as I mentioned, he wrote this letter somewhere probably 20 or 30 years after Jesus had, had lived and died and rose again. And so the church, as it's becoming established within the first century Roman Empire, as it's becoming established uh, as we get a couple of decades down the road from Jesus being present, it's beginning to become established in different ways. And it's a mixture of many different types of people. Now, there are people who are of Jewish background, and there are also people who are of Gentile or non-Jewish background, pretty much Jewish or everyone else. So believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, Christians, whatever we want to call them, members of this, these various communities of faith, they are all a very diverse type of people. There's no one culture that, that encompasses everything. But this mixture has caused some division in terms of the approach, in terms of belief practices, in terms of, of things that you had to follow or not follow, things that you had to do, traditions that you had to do or not do in order to be a proper follower of Christ. And this isn't only limited, these divisions, it's not only limited to those kind of out on the outskirts, this was even found within the original 12 disciples. And this very subject in which Paul references talking about either eat some who eat and some who abstain, also, and he talks about some observe certain, certain types of days or festivals and some don't do that. These both stem from the same idea that some had that before you could become a follower of Christ, you first had to follow Jewish traditions. This was a division that popped up between the apostle Peter and the apostle James, two of Jesus' big three disciples butted heads over this. And we see that Paul is getting in on as well. There are some who recognize the diversity of humanity and that God has called all of humanity. And there are some who are very rigid in terms of this is what you have to do, that you have to follow it this way, that this is the proper way and this is the only way. And they fought about it. And apparently that is the type of thing that Paul has is either heard about and is speaking about in general, or perhaps he's even heard that that's going on in the community at Rome. Now, we don't exactly know, but we can find from the various aspects of scripture that these divisions are present. 
So what do we find from that? What do we take from this? What sort of, of, of good news can we find as Paul's writing about the apparent tension that lies between people who either choose to eat one thing or, <clears throat> excuse me, or they choose to eat a different type of thing or maybe they choose not to eat. What do we do from that? We find this issue, and this seems to be very simple. I mean, for us today, maybe it's not that big of a deal when we talk about food other than pineapple on pizza. But for them at that time, these cultural differences were extraordinarily important. <clears throat> and they were extraordinarily prominent in their reckoning. Now, I'm sure when we think on the larger scale now today, that probably makes sense. We have different things that we take very seriously and we think this is the right way and any other way is wrong. And we have that both within our faith practices and I think we probably have it in our day-to-day -day lives. All we have to do is turn on the news and we see people disagreeing with each other. So clearly this is a situation that was prominent not only in the first century, but it's still prominent for us now. So what do we take from this? Do we take that Paul is saying that, they're, that everyone should be the same? Or do we take that Paul is saying that everyone has their own experience and everyone has their own way, uh, their own practice that's shaped them and how they choose to focus in and honor and give glory to God? Is that what Paul's saying? Because that seems to be what Paul's saying. Now, I want to make a side note because I think this is important. As I mentioned before, Paul, we have a lot of his writings. A great deal of the New Testament is features the writings of Paul. And we hear many different aspects from him. And there's one point that maybe seems to almost counterbalance what he's saying here. There's one point where Jesus, or where, where Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, <clears throat> they are a new creation. And he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. There is only the new creation. And I think that's important. And I think that's something that then lives in tension with what he's talking about now, that there is diversity not only within the, the, the body of Christ, but there's diversity within the human race. That we are not all the same, that our experiences are not all the same, and that that diversity which comes into the body of Christ is actually a good thing. So what do we do with that tension? Well, I think we dig a little bit deeper and we remember or we focus in on or we look at the other aspects of what he's saying here. And he makes reference to it. He says, whether we live or whether we die, we live to the Lord or we die to the Lord's. And whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. What Paul seems to be referencing here, what Paul really seems to be talking about is not necessarily talking about who we are, who we have been, and who we are now and how that's expressed. But I think what he's really, really focusing, focusing on here, what he's really, really talking about, what he's really, really reminding us is not about who we are, but whose we are. Paul is talking about the claim that God places upon each of us as beloved child. Now, the wonderful thing about this is on one hand, we are all universal in that we are members of the human race created by God bearing the divine image. We are all on equal footing there. And he even kind of references that when he says later on, like, why do you judge people based on what they do? We, are, we, we, we will stand before God. Human judgment doesn't really matter because we're all on that same page. But on the flip side of that, God's amazing creation 
is so wondrously diverse, and that includes humanity. We see so many different aspects, so many different cultures, so many different expressions of life, and it's beautiful. And Paul realizes that. And God sure as heck realizes that. And, and obviously because God's the one who made us in the first place. And then God's claim is upon us. And that claim is ultimately what matters. Now, as we're talking about differences and debates and, and, and ideas of this is the right way to do things and that's the right way to do things, it even comes down to this idea of, of God's claim upon us. Now, I fully believe that God claims everyone and that God will, uh, will send the Holy Spirit and will claim everyone whenever God chooses. But we also profess the faith that it becomes tangible in the waters of baptism, that the claim of God as, on the individual as beloved child becomes tangible in the waters of baptism. Now, I bring that up today because today at our outdoor worship, we are going to baptize two children. It's going to be glorious, and let me tell you, I'm really looking forward to it. And these two children, those promises, which were made real through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago, will become tangible for them. And that claim of God upon them, you are mine, beloved child of God, will be bestowed upon them. But as we think about faith practices, because that's the basis for this whole thing, we realize that some in different denominations or some in different faith traditions or whatever, they have different stances about baptism. Some believe about there's a difference between washing or full immersion. Some, we, we, we have disagreements about should they be baptized as babies, as infants, or do they need to wait until they're old enough to make the decision themselves? You know, there's all kinds of different practices or different understandings and different debates and headbutts just over the practice of baptism. And that's only one expression of faith. But ultimately, what we are reminded of is all of that stuff pales in comparison with the claim of God upon us as beloved child. Ultimately, that's what matters. As God claims us and places us on even ground in the midst of the amazing diversity that is the body of Christ. Now, here's the wonderful thing. Here's the wonderful aspect of this whole thing and where I get really excited about it. It's because as more and more people are claimed by God as beloved children, the church, whether we're talking about the individual community or individual congregation, or if we're talking about the universal worldwide church that exists across time, the church becomes new and different and diverse and glorious, better expressing the amazing diversity of God's creation whenever a new person comes into it. And that's going to happen today when we baptize these two babies, because the church today will be different than it was yesterday. And that's amazing as they bring their diverse experience in and are empowered by the same Holy Spirit, which calls us and unites us all together. Now, it is my prayer that today they, along with you, but these two will Will, they will enter into this community. They will be embraced by this community as the years go on. They will be watching and they will be learning. And together, all of us will continue to express this faith as the body of Christ. It is my hope that they will know the love of the one who made them in the first place. The one who claims them, the one who looks and says, you are mine. And that they will find joy in knowing that they have been claimed by the one who made them and who loves them. And I hope that they will ultimately realize the most, I mean, that's the most important truth, but maybe one other truth too. And folks, I hope they realize pineapple does not belong on pizza.
Amen.